Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him he loves you more than you know, and you can be seated. Now, I am going to get most of the way through two of the sections tonight. The first one, an hour of temptation for the Shulamite, and, and then a, an hour of tenderness. Now, this is a poem. It's an extended poem. It's a metaphor for Christ and the church. Now, last time, as we began our journey through the Song of Solomon, we identified the main characters of the story as follows. I'm going to go over them again since a lot of you probably weren't here because the weatherman spooked you off last week. Rain, sleet, hail, snow, maybe. And everybody goes, oh, I'm staying home. So anyway, here we go. The shepherd in the story pictures Christ Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. So every time we hear the word shepherd, you'll know it's talking about or it's illustrating Jesus Christ. Now, the Shulamite represents you and me, the church, the individual believer who is devoted to him. So when I say Shulamite, say, that be me. All right? Then Solomon, contrary to a lot of interpretations of this book, represents the prince of this world, the tempter. He uses worldly pomp in this Song of Solomon, power and magnificence in an attempt to win the heart of the Shulamite. He's, he's trying to steal the heart of the Shulamite away from the shepherd. Ring a bell? Now, the court women, all that harem of women that were hanging around in Solomon's pavilion, Solomon's court, represents those who admire this worldly prince. They resemble the citizens of our world who look askance at those who turn their backs on the world, that they might have a relationship with the shepherds. So those court women represent the lost who just can't understand why we would be interested in the shepherd. Got a few of those around you? Amen. Now it's important to remember that aside from the book of Revelation, no other book in Scripture has more divergent interpretations than the Song of Solomon. There's many. I've read many different interpretations. Even in some of your Bibles, and let me clear up some confusion here because we had one or two of you ask about this. Even in some of your Bibles, the translator has provided headings to guide you into who is doing the talking at a given time. So they'll say the Shulamite's talking, and I'll say it's somebody else talking. Now, I know that's confusing for some of you. How many of you have noticed that in your Bible? Okay, and you're here to set me straight, right? Now, let me just show you what's going on here. Keep in mind that those headings are not from the original text. They're not from the original Hebrew text. They are the translator's interpretation, and they are not infallible. If we had the original text of the Song of Solomon, it would just be a scroll of Hebrew words, no chapters, no chapter breakdowns, no headings, no anything. It's just a straight Hebrew text, and it's translators that insert the chapters and that insert these headings. So if your heading, the, the headings in your Bible are different from what I'm teaching, just pretend like you don't see them. And listen to me, because I'm right. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I think that the, the translation we've chosen is, makes the most sense. It, it, to me, it, it's clearly 
makes the most sense. So if we go against the heading, just realize I'm not going against the Word of God. Um, okay? Everybody good on that? All right. Now, the interpretation that we have chosen for this series presupposes that the Song of Solomon begins with the Shulamite having been brought into the chambers of Solomon against her will. He is one day out there on horseback riding through the fields with no doubt some major entourage and Solomon caught sight of this Shulamite shepherdess and he said, Woe, ma'am. Did y'all get it? Woman, woe, man. Okay. And he said, get her. And so the song is laying out the fact that she is, she is apprehended and brought into Solomon's pavilion where we find her essentially imprisoned by Solomon, which a king in that day could do all day long if he wanted to. Grab women, carry them in, make them part of his harem, kidnap them and whatnot. Now, she had been a shepherdess caring for her flock in the fields when Solomon spotted her, decided to add her to his harem. But there was a problem. She was already in love with the shepherd, who is a picture of Jesus Christ. Hence, she resists Solomon's advances. So this, this whole book is a metaphor, an illustration, a picture of the great shepherd of the sheep, his church, the bride, the Shulamite, the tempter, Solomon, and the people of this world, the court women, who mock and ridicule the Shulamite for her dedication to the shepherd. And we're going to see a, a series of different events taking place as Solomon tries to win this woman. And it, it is a picture of what you and I experience in our walk with Jesus. So, so very often I'm going to pause and I'm going to make application to you and to me of what this Song of Solomon is teaching us about our walk with the Lord. Now, what we have in this beautiful poem, and I'm, and I'm kind of repeating here, metaphor of the church, the tempter and his minions. See how well I know it? I jumped way ahead and said it without even reading it. Now, we ended last time with the Shulamite longing for the freedom that she had once known to meet with her beloved, the shepherd, unencumbered by distractions. Remember, she's now in Solomon's pavilion. The court women are all around her. The shepherd is far away. She's no longer in the fields. She is in this foreign place. And she's longing for those days when she just met with the shepherd on the fields and they talked and they were together. Now her own brothers had not approved of the shepherd and they had separated the two, uh, the two of them by removing the Shulamite from the fields and putting her to work in a vineyard. They said, she's meeting the shepherd out there in the fields all the time, so let's get her out of there and let's put her in the vineyards where she's laboring constantly long hours every day. She doesn't have time to get with him because we do not approve of this relationship. So the brothers represent, at the very beginning, family that comes against us or that does not approve of our walk with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I did. And uh, when I first came to Christ, my whole family made fun of it, thought I just went from one extreme to another, would, you know, kind of mock and ridicule me. My mother's going to hear this, and she would tell you it's true. I just stayed with it, and for years and years and years, finally, 
Uh, many of them ended up saved. My mother loves the Lord now, and she regrets all those times that she made fun of me. Right, Mom? Right. Now. So from there, she was further separated from the shepherd by being taken to Solomon's pavilion. She longs to be with the love of her soul. Now, the women of Solomon's court, a picture of the world, cannot wrap their minds around her unwillingness to take advantage of this incredible opportunity to be one of Solomon's women, maybe number one. They just don't get it. Say, like, girl, don't you recognize a great opportunity when it comes along? And she, her basic response is, no, I don't get it at all. I want nothing to do with Solomon because I've got a love in my heart, and it's the shepherd, and I'm so in love with him, there is nothing Solomon can offer me that I want over him. Now, in verse 8, they mock her by suggesting she go hang out at the lowly shepherd tents where she might bump into him, and it's very sarcastic, and that's kind of how we ended last week. Now, in this section of the song, we're going to see what happened when Solomon, in all of his glory, and armed with all of his personal charm and all of his power, and believe me, he had it in spades, makes his first brazen attempt to seduce the Shulamite from her shepherd. Now, Solomon, let me be clear, because this is one of the old interpretations of this book, Solomon is not a type of Christ in this song. He can't be. He's a type of the tempter. What he offers the Shulamite is similar to what the arch tempter offers to you and to me. Satan, here's one of the messages of this book. Satan always seeks to use the world to draw the church away from its loyalty to the Lord. We experience it every day. That's why I'm teaching more and more, if you don't pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus and die to yourself and live unto him and say, not my will but thine be done, the world's pull in these days is so strong, so persuasive, so seductive, that if you're not totally sold out to the shepherd, you're fair game. Now we're going to see if this Shulamite is really ready to meet temptations that are about to come her way. Solomon begins tempting her away from the shepherd to himself with flattery. Can everybody say the word flattery with me? The Bible says the flattering mouth works ruin. Now, look at what he says to her. I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, if I'm her, that's strike one, because he just compared me to a horse. He says, I've compared you, my love, to my filly. Now, one translator puts it like this. To a mare of mine in the chariots of Pharaoh have I likened you, my fair one. Now, ironically, this did not gain points with her because the horse was considered an unclean animal in Israel. So Solomon did better with the next pickup line. He must have seen the look on her face like, really? I, I, I remind you of a horse? Dude, you better think of something better than that. So here's what she came up with next. Your cheeks. I can just hear this guy. He's gross. <laughs> He's out to seduce her away from the love of her life. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck with chains of gold. Now, here, he's likely referring to the jewelry that the court women had adorned her with. He's not complimenting 
her natural beauty. Now, in Bible times, the headdress of an oriental woman was often adorned with dangling beads or small ornaments like coins. You could hear them coming. They'd walk with these things uh, dangling off of their hair and their ears, and you would hear them coming. Now, Solomon had tried to embellish the natural beauty of the Shulamite. Now, I told you last week, this woman was beautiful. Why else would Solomon stop everything, his whole entourage, and point her out and say, get her? She's beautiful. And on top of that, she knows she's beautiful. But she's beautiful naturally. She doesn't need all these things. Solomon is trying to put on her. So what he was really admiring when he said, you know, wow, I, I just am so taken with... Um, your, you know, these, these lovely ornaments in your neck, the chains of gold that are hanging off. Um, he, he was really admiring his own handiwork, not her. Already, now look what he was doing. He was already attempting to conform her to the look of his world. She didn't need this. What was he doing? Put those gold coins on her. Put that necklace of gold on her. Start to bedeck her with the jewelry of the court women. He's trying to get her to conform to his world. And isn't that exactly the way the enemy does with you and me? Through flattery, aren't you beautiful? Aren't you talented? Man, you are something. Let me tell you something, church. One of the enemy's greatest tactics and devices against you and me to lure us away from Christ into something we should not be involved in is flattery. He will use the citizens of this world to flatter you. Ladies, you know what it's like to be flattered by a man. And, and men, you know what it's like to be flattered by a woman. See, flattery is a manipulative tool to get something from someone they would not normally give up. So he's flattering her. And just like Solomon is doing with her, the world seeks to lure us into conformity to its ways. Dress like us. Talk like us. Walk like us. Think like us. Flattery. Conformity. It's interesting that what Solomon put on the Shulamite was, say it with me, chains of gold. Golden chains. But guess what, church? Chains. Nevertheless, See, when you and I conform to the world, every, every, at every place we conform, in the way we think, in the way we dress, in the way we look, in the way we carry ourselves, in the way we behave, every area where we cave in and conform, we have just allowed ourselves to be chained. God hasn't called us to look like the world. He's called us to look like Jesus. To walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, think like Jesus, listen, be like Jesus, reflect Jesus, mirror Jesus, remind people of Jesus, love like Jesus, be patient like Jesus, heal like Jesus, deliver like Jesus, walk in an anointing like Jesus. He has not called us to reflect or mirror this world. Anytime we conform to this world, we allow those chains to be wrapped around us. Hence Paul's warning. What did he say in Romans 12? Be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you are either going to be, you and I both, we're either going to be conformed to this world, 
or we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And it's a choice you make every single day. And every day the hands of this world reach out like, like hands and you're on the potter's wheel and this world seeks to conform you into its mold. It, listen, Satan hates Christians who shine, who really do grow into his likeness. So we're going to conform or we're going to be transformed. We're faced with that and she was faced with this. The Shulamite was not impressed. Her sweet words, or his sweet words, fell on deaf ears. And, and you know what? The words of this world need to fall on deaf ears as far as you and I are concerned. I don't want to be like you, look like you, talk like you. I want to be like him. So she had no need for the trinkets that he had placed around her neck. And we as Christ's bride, the church, need nothing the world can give. We're made beautiful in his salvation. It's a natural beauty. Wear Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you ladies, don't wear makeup. I'm not telling you don't wear pants. You are not in a church like that. But what I am telling you is there is nothing more striking than a woman who is attractive, but on the inside, she is, she is bedecked with the fruits of the Spirit of God and looks like Jesus Christ, like Kathy does. That's true. She does. It's true. And see, God wants us to be beautiful in his salvation. How many of you are glad for the salvation of the Lord? So here comes Solomon. He had a first a terrible pickup line. Then he got a little bit better, but it fell on deaf ears. It did not work, but he's not finished. He takes it a step further by offering her, watch this, a crown of gold etched in silver. Look at verse 11. We will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. Now, how many of you ladies like gold? Tell the truth. I'm going to know we got liars in here tonight if I don't see hands. How many of you ladies like gold? How many of you like silver? How many of you like nice jewelry? All right. Then you understand the Shulamite and the temptation she's experiencing here. Now, in the Bible, gold is linked with sovereignty and silver with salvation. I'm going to show you how in just a moment. First, let's deal with the gold. We associate gold with rule and with riches. This is exactly what Satan offered Jesus in the wilderness temptation. He took him to the top of a high mountain. When he got into the hot top of the high mountain, I really do believe he gave him a vision. Because it says he showed him all the kingdoms of the, the world and their glory. He gave him a vision of everything you could possibly have from this world. All of its glory, all of its beauty, all of its riches, all the gold, all the silver, all the wealth. He showed it to him in a vision. In a flash, Jesus saw it. And then the Bible says, after offering rule and riches, he said, all of this I'll give to you. All of this you can have. He said, it's mine to give you, Jesus, but there's a high price. But you can do it, Jesus. It won't take long. I just want you to fall down and bow down and worship me. And you do that, and I'll give it all to you. And you know what? The devil could give it all because he's the prince of this world. He had it to give. But what did Jesus do? Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he rejected it. 
But this is the same kind of thing the Shulamite is being offered. And when, and when the tempter is dealing with you and me, he so often offers us something from this world. Money, fame, riches, power, reputation, status. He offers what appeals to the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, which John said is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God is the one who abides forever. So if you fall down and worship me, Jesus, he says, away from me, Satan. You shall worship the Lord God. Him only shall you serve. This was Solomon's tactic with the Shulamite. The shepherd's far away. She's in Solomon's pavilion. She is a prisoner. And now this powerful, wealthy, charismatic king says, I've got a crown for you. I've got gold for you. I've got silver for you. Let me adorn you with gold and bedeck you with silver. But if she had yielded to his offer, she must be his. This she refused. No amount of worldly wealth could have ever compensated her for the betrayal of her true love, the shepherd. Now, I'm going to tell you something, church. The enemy knows our weak spots. And you walk with God very long, and he's going to come at a pivotal point, and he's going to knock on the door of your heart in an evil way. He's going to come at you through your mind, come at you through your senses, and he will try to lure you away like Solomon did the Shulamite from your shepherd to something this world has to offer. And you've got to have it already settled. No matter what comes my way, there is nothing more beautiful, more valuable, more lovely, more priceless, more important to me than Jesus Christ, my great shepherd, and I will take nothing nothing in order to walk away from him. Amen. But then he came and offered her silver. Now, silver is frequently used as a symbol of salvation in Scripture. Both Joseph and Jesus were sold for silver, highlighting the fact that silver symbolizes the price of life. Now, silver is pure and unsullied. It's resistant to corrosion and it can withstand the fiercest heat of the refiner's fire. Hence, silver is a beautiful picture of the sterling life of the Lord Jesus Christ given up for our redemption. How was Jesus betrayed? 30 pieces of what? The price of his life. Now, just as gold offered to the Shulamite by Solomon represented rule and riches... So the silver he offered her represented an offer of false religion and not true redemption. See, only Jesus and his blood can redeem. There's not anything else. I was listening last night to, I'll be honest with you, I'll go ahead and say the name, O'Reilly. I don't watch much. But I was, there was a story he did, and I saw it in the news that I read, so I turned it on and I watched. And O'Reilly, is, he, he's not conservative, he's moderate, he's, he's sort of a eh, center. And 
when he goes off into theology, he's dangerous. Now, all of a sudden, he's off into theology, so I've got the volume way up. And I'm listening to what he says. And he's talking about Jesus. And he's writing a book called uh, uh, Killing Jesus. And, and so he, he pops off with this statement and he says, now we all know, those of us who have really studied the Bible, and I thought, oh, please. Those of us who have really studied the Bible understand that you don't have to believe one particular way to get to heaven, that as long as we do good things and live a good life, God is not going to send us to hell. Man, I wanted to reach through that screen and grab him by his teal tie and pull him up to me and say, stop that. Because he has four million people watching at any given time. And I was just picturing those millions of people watching, and I was thinking, how tragic. Because that's just simply not true. That's not true at all. So if you want to watch O'Reilly for different news events, go ahead. But when he goes into theology, click him off fast. Because there aren't many ways. There is only one way. So where do you get that? From Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. If you believe in me, you will have eternal life. If you don't, you will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on you. It is written of Jesus. He will call his name Jesus. His, uh, Joseph was, was commanded. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was very exclusive, very narrow, very one-way-minded, one very exclusive. So this Solomon, this tempter, offers her something that represented security and, and, and essentially religion. You come and you be a part of our world. You worship our gods. You, you live in my pavilion. You come in under me, not under the shepherd. You become a part of what I do and how I live and how we live and our worldview. And you live here and you forget the shepherd and you forget what you had with him. And you, you are now ready to live a brand new life. And she said, no way. If she had taken the silver, it would have been as tragic as Joseph's brothers taking silver for his life and Judas taking silver for Jesus' life. She would have been taking silver instead of the shepherd. Now, it was silver offered at the price of, of the denial of her beloved, and she would not do it. Now, the Shulamite turned coldly away from the promises of her tempter. In contrast to the true love she had with her beloved, what Solomon had to offer was trash. And isn't that what Paul said? I count all things that I have lost for the sake of Jesus manure for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. He said I've lost reputation. I've lost standing. I've lost home. I've lost friends. I've lost respect. I have been threatened. I have been chased. I have been stalked. I have been stoned with stones. I have been whipped. I have been all these different things, but I counted all as dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. That was her attitude when it came to Solomon. Now, let me ask you a question before we go to this next section. What's coming at you today? How's the enemy knocking on the door of your heart today? 
Are you being tempted as you sit here tonight? Are you being offered gold, silver, figuratively speaking? Are you being offered some things this world has to offer if only you will distance yourself from your shepherd? Can I encourage you tonight and our friends listening by radio, don't take it. It's never worth it. It never pays what it says it will. It never produces what it promises it will produce. Anything that takes the place of Jesus is way down at the bottom of preferences. He alone is worth our praise and our worship and our adoration and our 110% commitment. He alone is worth dying for, living for, walking with, pursuing And so the Shulamite passed the hour of temptation successfully. Now we come to an hour of tenderness. And as we begin this section, the Shulamite is a virtual prisoner in Solomon's pavilion. She's still there. Now the shepherd finally, now get this, the shepherd finally comes to her. Now how he does it, the story doesn't say. We don't know how he got in there, but suddenly he's there and he makes no attempt to get her away from her circumstances. He simply seeks to strengthen and encourage her. And to assure her of his love, just like the Lord Jesus does so often for us in time of trial. Have you noticed? Uh, how many of you have, have wanted the Lord to take you out of something difficult? Have you noticed that more times than not, he doesn't take you out, but he comes into it with you and walks through it with you? Instead of plucking you out, he walks through it with you? This is what happened with her. The shepherd appears. He doesn't take her out. He doesn't change the circumstances. He just says, I'm here. I'm with you. And I'm here to encourage you. While it's sometimes difficult to decide who is speaking at this point in the song, uh, a clue is found in the gender of the pronouns that are used. So the speaker in the next passage is definitely female. The Shulamite is speaking, and here's what she says. While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. Now you say, well, what is spikenard? Spikenard was probably her term of endearment for the shepherd. She called him my spike nerd. My spike nerd. That may sound strange. Hey, my English leather. Or hey, my polo. But her term of endearment very possibly was my spike nerd, calling him her spike nerd. The Shulamite is saying that he was like the lingering fragrance of costly perfume to her. His presence lingered with her. She then gives expression of her love in two ways. First, she rejoices in her prospect. Look what she says, verse 13. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. Now, myrrh was a fragrant perfume. It was also an ingredient in the holy anointing oil. Myrrh reminded her of the shepherd, so much so that she even slept with a portion of it close to her heart. Now, I'm going to tell you something weird that I've done before. I have slept with the Bible right here. I have. You ever slept with your Bible? I know that sounds strange, but there have been times I just opened that thing up, just opened it up and placed it right here. I wanted to be close to the Word of God. Now, I know it didn't, you know, you know, become a part of me or something strange and mystical. But I'm saying I loved it so much, I wanted it right here. And I've gone to sleep with it like this. Have you ever done that? 
Now, this is what she's saying. She's saying, the closest thing that I can get to him is this myrrh, and so I'm going to sleep with it right near my heart. Until she had him in person, which was her prospect, the myrrh served as his reminder. Then she rejoices in his person. Look what she says in verse 14. My beloved is to me a cluster of Hannah blooms in the vineyards of En Gedi. Now that doesn't mean anything to you and it didn't mean anything to me, but let me tell you what Hannah blooms and En Gedi represent so we can understand this verse. Hannah was also known as cypress flowers. They grow abundantly in the Holy Land and they're used to create beautiful bouquets. These are beautiful flowers. En Gedi is a town that is sometimes called the city of palm trees. It's located on the shore of the Dead Sea, just on the edge of the wilderness. While in a desolate location, it is saved from barrenness by the presence of a spring. Because of this spring, vineyards grew in this region that normally would have been desolate and barren. And in these vineyards, the henna flowers flourished. Thus, the henna flowers of Angeti symbolize beauty where one would expect barrenness. Okay? The Shulamite sees her shepherd like these henna flowers growing in a vineyard on the edge of the wilderness. And here's what she's saying. Her relationship with him caused her to blossom even in the wilderness of Solomon's pavilion. Folks, let me tell you, it doesn't matter what's around you as much as what is within you. She is sitting here saying, I am a prisoner in a strange place. I am being attacked by a tempter. I am not where I want to be. I am longing for my shepherd. This is not my idea of a great day, but I've got a secret. I've got a relationship with the shepherd, and that relationship with the shepherd is like a flowing stream through my life that no matter what's going on around me, I am blossoming within because I'm not dependent on circumstances. I'm dependent on my walk with Him. Beautiful. That's why it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Though young men faint and fall, because the circumstances are so difficult. Not the person who has a flowing relationship with God. They mount up with wings as eagles. They run and are not weary. Their strength is renewed like a young person. The secret is having a relationship with Him within. And oh church, let me tell you, days are coming that we need to understand this more than at any time I have ever known. No matter what's going on out there, tribulation, financial difficulty, persecution, separation, job loss, hard times, difficult times, if you dig deep and keep your relationship with the Lord alive and well and vibrant, then you will be just like her. No matter where I am, I'm blossoming. Like the Shulamite, we also, as Christ's bride, should hug him to our hearts, cleaving to the fragrant myrrh of his word, his spirit, rejoicing in the prospect of soon being with him at his return. She held that myrrh close to her heart. It reminded him of her, or her of him, 
And she's saying, one day I'm going to see him again. Until then, this is what I've got. And here it is with you and me. One day we're going to see him again. The shepherd is going to come into the prison of this world and take us out. We are going to hear a trumpet blow, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then we will be with our shepherd at last. But until then... We have the Word, our myrrh. We have the Holy Spirit, our myrrh. We have the fellowship of the saints, our myrrh. The message is, hold them close to your heart. No wonder the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the earnest down payment of the redemption that is coming. Now, we should rejoice in His person. He is like the bubbling spring that feeds our soul while we walk out our life in a spiritually barren world. Amen? Amen. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, next, the shepherd and the Shulamite talk to each other. We hear them conversing for the first time, and each one tells the other of their beauty. And this is not a flattery fest. This is love talking. He thinks of her, then she thinks of him. And you'll see it go back and forth. Then he thinks of her again, then she thinks of him again. First, the shepherd thinks of her, and you know what he thinks of? He thinks of peace. Look what he says in verse 15. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. Now, he's not talking about the gold dangling off her ears. He's not talking about the silver that she got on. He's saying, you, my love, are fair. And you have dove's eyes. Well, I can handle that over a horse. (laughs) This guy's got it going on, not Solomon. You remind me of my horse. He says, you've got dove's eyes. He says, oh, I like this. The dove is the unvarying symbol of peace in Scripture. It was a dove that brought back to Noah the olive twig, informing him that the waters of wrath had abated. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of peace, descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. When the shepherd looked at the Shulamite, she brought peace to his soul. Well, then the Shulamite looks at him, and she thinks of paradise. How many of you guys would like your woman to look at you and think of paradise. Come on, guys. Look what he says in verse 16. Behold, she says this. Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. She's looking forward to the honeymoon, which she dreams of taking place in some secret shady forest. Not Solomon's pavilion with all the satin and silk. For her, it will be paradise to finally be with him, no matter where they are. Then she talks of the place that she imagines they will live. Look at the way she describes it. She says, one day I see us in a house. The beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters are of fir. Here's what she's saying. I don't need this pomp and splendor and magnificence of Solomon's court. All I need is to be filled with bliss by being with you. Give me a little clearing in the forest and a house of cedar and I will be happy because it's not 
where we are, it's who we're with. You know, I know that you can be in a great big mansion, but it's too small if you're miserable. And you can be in a little house, a little cabin in the woods, but if you're happy, there ain't no place like home. It'll be glorious to her because he's there. And that's what she's looking forward to. Now, next, the Shulamite expresses a problem. And this is where we begin chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 1, she says, I have a real problem. Now, you've heard this verse interpreted in many ways. Let me give you another angle to it. She says, I am the rose of Sharon, and I'm the lily of the valley. Here was the problem. She could only see herself as a simple flower of the meadow. Because that's what the lily of the valley is. It could read this way. I'm only a blossom of the plain. That's all I am. I'm not some fancy woman of the court. I don't have a bunch of jewelry and gowns and all this other stuff. I'm just a simple woman. I'm a plain woman. I'm beautiful, but what you see is what you get. And she wondered how he, her wonderful shepherd, could see anything in her at all. She's having a moment like we often have with Jesus. Have you ever had this kind of moment? How, how can you love me the way you do? I don't understand how you can love me the way you do. I'm flawed. I make mistakes. I fail you and disappoint you so often. How, Lord, can you the psalmist said, what is man that you are mindful of him? This week I saw a, a picture of planet Earth from, from a, a, a satellite they sent up a long time ago. And if I remember right, it was from like 90 billion miles away. It was way out there. And Earth looked like a little tiny piece of salt. This little nothing. And I thought of that verse. What is man that you are mindful of him? This little speck in this gigantic universe. How do you love us like you do? Lord, I just, if I was you, I wouldn't love me the way you love me. She's saying, she's saying, what do you see in me? You could have any woman you wanted. What do you see in me? And this is what we do with our own great shepherd. Times of failure, we wonder, how can he love us? We don't feel worthy of his love. He's so perfect, and we are not. You can have anything you wanted, Lord. Why in the world would you come to me? Why would you forgive me? Why would you keep dealing with me? Why don't you give up on me? Why don't you walk away? Because I know I mess up so much. I fail you. How do you not get impatient and just call it a day? like we humans do. He says, because I'm not like you. And I have a love that you can't comprehend. I have a love that you can't wrap your mind around. If you live to be a million, you could never understand it. What level of love would send the only begotten son to be beaten by the very people he created, to be beaten beyond recognition and hung on the worst instrument of execution in the history of the world. What, what kind of love? We can't know it until we're there. 
No wonder the Scripture says, Behold what manner of love the Father has shown unto us, that we should be called the children of God. So she's saying, Lord, I'm just a little lily of the valley. Why are you messing with me, shepherd? We see ourselves as the Shulamite did, as just a wayside weed, a creature of the humble valley. Yet the shepherd responds with encouraging words. And we're going to look at them next week. <laughs> Let's stand together, can we? See, as they say in entertainment, give them, give them, don't give them everything they want. Give them just enough to want to come back. But he responds. And how many of you have ever felt this way with the great shepherd? Amen? But guess what? He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you more than you could ever know. Can we lift our hands to him and just begin to worship him? And Lord, we just thank you that you're the great shepherd. We, Lord, though we feel like a lowly lily of the valley, a wayside weed, we are not that to you, but you, we are your, you are uh, ours, and, and Lord, you are our beloved and you have made us your own. And you gave your blood to make us your bride. And I want to encourage you tonight. If you have felt unworthy of the shepherd. I want you to lift your hands and say, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. And I receive your unconditional love. The unconditional love that you have for me. I receive it in the name of Jesus. And Lord, thank you that as the Shulamite resisted the temptations of the tempter Solomon she wouldn't take gold she wouldn't take silver she wouldn't take anything to replace her love for you then Lord in Jesus name help us today to say no to every temptation of this world and Lord that we would cleave only to you in Jesus name take a minute and just tell him that you love him and let's worship, Mike. Just lead us in a song.